today we wrap up our One Church Sermon Series. I'm super excited uh, about sharing this word with you. We hope that this word will bring you some encouragement to know that there is an individual role, a responsibility, a purpose as an individual that you have to be the church in the world that needs it most. Amen? Today we're going to be talking about multiplication and method. All right? And, and I'm going to dive into Acts chapter 2, and we're going to be talking about verse 42 to 47, where we, when we see the early church, the New Testament church, start laying down some, they, they start laying down some groundwork to what the church will be like, the methods that they're going to utilize, the things that they're going to put in place, and the success that they end up seeing instantly from the things that they put in place. I hope you're awake this morning. All right? This is take two for me. I'm super pumped, energized, and ready to go. Okay, wow. I feel the love. No, seriously, we, we hope that this creates some sort of a domino effect in your life this morning, that you, that you would be impacted, and, and that impact will replicate in the lives of those people that you're connected to. Amen? Let's read verse 42. It says, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the, Lord, the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many mir miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared the, their meals with great joy and generosity all the while praising God and enjoying the good will of all the people. Each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, would you open our hearts and our minds this morning? Let us experience something unique this morning. You've already started dealing with us this morning as, as, as we worshiped you and we've connected with you in your presence, Lord. Now, let us leave this place with something new from you as you share your word with us, Lord. Speak to us. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, this passage gives us kind of like an overview of the things that the New Testament church um, had the ability to experience this miraculous power from God, this growth that came from doing the things that God had called them to do. And the reality is that these things that they were doing were pretty plain and practical. Things that we wouldn't think make such a huge or big deal or a big impact ended up making an impact for this church, and they instantly saw results from it. In fact, many churches today, you would see they, they pattern themselves on desiring to be like the New Testament church in hopes of experiencing some of the same power, some of the same growth, some of the same effectiveness that this church saw. We, 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 we want that, but however, I do believe that the biggest obstacle for us today as, as the church uh, in, 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 the, in the U.S. is that we have, we want growth, we want effectiveness, we, we want all these supernatural powers and things to take place, but we have made church too complicated, too difficult. We got one layer on top of the other. We, we, we have told ourselves that a church will not move forward in this day and age without a social media platform. We have just overcomplicated what the church is meant to be. The truth is that when we look back, every single large church that we admire, every pastor, 
Every person that we look up to started from a small beginning. It all started somewhere. It had a ground base, a groundwork that was laid before them. Life Church, who is considered the largest church in North American history, has 40 different locations in 12 different states, started in a two-car garage with an overhead projector that projected to that two-car garage with a full-time OPTF, an overhead projector transparency flipper. If you're old enough in the room, you know what that is, right? Gosh, I'm getting old. You know, when I, when I say those quotes and then I have to clarify, like, that person that sat there, you know? It's an important position. Some of you know the story. My dad, you know, my mom was 19 years old. My dad was 22. They got married and felt called to a small town in Puerto Rico. Take 20 folding you know, metal chairs with them to the town and they start having church services. My brother and I thought they were crazy. We're sitting there in the front row like with nobody behind us, 17 chairs still empty, my mom, my brother, and myself, right? And we're wondering, where's it going? And then my dad buys the property next to our house, builds a building with another guy. It wasn't even a company. Eddie, you remember our dad out there with the one guy that knew how to build it and they took piece at a time and build this whole thing. It was still power to our house. We were terrified to play around that yellow cord <laughs> as children. It all started somewhere. The very place that you sit at today, a 1930s tent revival that moved to a tabernacle, that then bought a property on Wesley Heights, that then ended up buying over 40 acres on Independence Boulevard, and so on and so on, started in a small beginning. So quiet. <laughs> what we must understand is that the church is a perfect plan set forth by God in order for him to accomplish his will for people. From the book of Acts and other writings in the New Testament, we gain this, this insight into the, 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 the things that, were, that made the church who they were. These people didn't have buildings, they didn't have offices, they didn't have phone numbers, they didn't have paid staff, they didn't have logos, websites, coffee, instruments, lights, haste machine, sermon series. I'm running out of breath here. But somehow, they found a way to be successful. And you're like, well, that was the community back then, Moises. We're different now. We need to attract people differently. No, it was simply that it was a, a group of people that were excited about Jesus and were willing to share that for someone else. People that understood that God wasn't just someone who did something for them. That that should continue. Many of us would actually say today that if a church didn't include some of the things I just listed, that church is not for us or our family. We would actually say that. We would tell ourselves, no, I don't, I don't fit well with them. I'm going to go to the next one. And we have taken this approach. And listen, I, I just want us to agree that in essence, we, we missed it a little here. Not that we've necessarily taken it too far with the church, but, but can we agree that we have approached the church from a consumer's mindset instead of a contributor? 
right? You're, you're brought to this church as an individual to consume something, but also to contribute something. If this place is lacking something, guess what? You're probably brought here to make it better. They say, right, when you want things done right, do them yourself. Think about it. You don't walk into a small church environment, a church plant, and say, they don't have everything my family needs. I'm out of here. No, you say, how can I help impact this community? What do I have? What are my talents? What can I impart to this group of people that will help this work move forward? Right? I'm going to say right if I don't hear you because I'm going to affirm myself up here. That's right. So if you stay quiet, I'm going to keep right voices. Exactly. That's what I meant. <laughs> I'll talk to myself. I'll talk to myself. Don't make me. No, just kidding. Right? Okay. <laughs> Christopher Wright said, Wright, W-R-I-G-T, said, it is, <laughs> right. it is not so much the case that God has a mission for his church in the world, but that he has a church for his mission in the world. It was never about the building, people. It was about the vision, the mission, what God wanted to accomplish through a group of people. The church has never been about the materials. It's been about people. You're like, dude, why are you so skilled? We get it. <laughs> but it's the truth. I, I get, you know, I get passionate about this stuff. I... You know, our goal as a church should not be to, should be to ask ourselves, how are we fit and equipped for the moment? The mission set forth before us by God. Do we fit? Are we capable? How can we add on to? You look at us and you say, church, Greater Life Church looks like a, a church that has it all figured out. Ha! <laughs> right? I had a guy come up to me and tell me, how do I get myself plugged up in this area? And I'm telling them, dude, you got to go see this person. I'm like, you don't understand how much we need help in that area. You know, because when you're, you're behind the scenes, you're watching all this. You come in here on Sundays and you are consuming. Not all of you. Listen, I'm not pointing any fingers here. Right. But the church cannot be made of consumers only. You realize that that mentality will cause the church to actually disappear. It will no longer exist. It goes against the creative process of spreading the kingdom of God. When you say, I'm just going to come and consume, literally you're online. Well, how do, we, how do we decide what church to go to now? We go on their website. Why would we put ourselves through the pain? I got to get back over here. They told me that on the first service, there was an actually a moment where I was outside of all three camera shots, all right? And I was losing the light there, and I thought to myself, ooh, they're mad at me. I probably did it again. Sorry, guys. <laughs> so, now, it, it goes against the mindset. We, we, we shop online because, God forbid, we walk into a place. And have the experience, oh God, if we don't like it right away, people are going to be on us and I don't want to go through that. I'd rather sit in the comfort of my home, decide if this is for me and my family, and then walk in because I'm a consumer. 
listen, I get it, but these are things that these people weren't really thinking about. We have overcomplicated this process. And not that our process is bad, it's just that there's practical and plain principles that really bring the true results that we want to see in our church today. These things that we saw in the scripture that we just read, the apostles' teaching, they were a church center around the word of God. They focused on teaching it, on discipling people on it. They believed that this book was infallible. There's no mistake found in it, right? If you read this and you say, my community doesn't fit somewhere in here. This is not good enough for the people of that state or for the people of this community or the beliefs nowadays. This doesn't kind of grab all of them. We might as well shut the lights down in here and go home. We're doing absolutely nothing by believing that this book is not inclusive in everyone's need. This is the living word of God. I don't care what verse you show me that seems to contradict itself and what it says when this. It's the, it is the word of God. A hundred percent of it is true and right and meant for us. They fellowship, breaking of the bread. They were unified in love and purpose. They they were in relation. They were a relationship building church. Breaking, they enjoy each other's companies and went caring and sharing community. They were people of gratitude and hospitality. Truly cared for one another, truly saw one another out, looked for the true needs, and found a way to not relay the message, but to actually meet the need when confronted with it. There wasn't a program that would help, it was them. They were the first line of defense. They stood in front of the needs of the people and met the need at that moment. They also prayed. That's crazy, right? They recognized that prayer was the source of their intimacy with God. We have churches are full of people that want to spend eternity with God but don't want to spend any time with him now. How is that? You're going to talk to God once you get to heaven? But right now you're too busy? We want to spend time with God when we get to heaven, but we have no time for him now. The practices were plain and practical, but extremely effective. So you're saying, Moises, we should just do that. We should just do those things? No. Yes, I'm saying we, we do what we're doing but let that be the, the foundation of how we do it and why we do it. And the principles stay true. Whatever development we have, building, evangelism technique or whatever, let these things be the groundwork, the, the foundation of how we do what we do in the church today. But it has to be practical. It has to be plain. It has to be simpler. The Bible says that my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Pastor Andrew said last week, if, if, your bear, if your load is too heavy, then we're carrying something we're not meant to carry. Friend, let me tell you, it's never the load. It's the way you're carrying it. 
God hasn't given you too much to carry. I'm sorry if that hurts your feelings. It's never the load. There is a significant result that the early New Testament church experienced from simply practicing these plain practical things. Number one, one of the things that they saw was signs and wonders. We would agree that that's super important. In verse 43, it says, A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. Signs and wonders are the most powerful testimonies you and I can have. When someone asks me, how do you know the Holy Spirit lives and is alive and well and moving among the people? Because I have experienced it. I don't have to get super creative with a biblical verse and an explanation. I've experienced it. It changed my life. When the Holy Spirit baptized me, I have witnesses' accounts of people saying, your life was never the same. It looked like this. I was called to ministry, knew it all my life, but when the Spirit of God baptized me, I follow the call. That's my experience. No one can take those experiences away from you. You live them unless you doubt of them. And then also what God has done in your life is powerful enough to impact other people. It's not just for you. The Bible says in 1 Peter 3.15, the bottom part of that verse, if anyone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Are you ready? If someone were to ask you today, why do you always smile? Do you really like this boss we have? Man, you, you seem to deal with it different than I do. Always be ready to explain it. Always be ready to explain it. People are looking for answers. There is a need for the supernatural. The supernatural is not a made-up concept by Christianity. You realize that. It was built within our DNA as we were created as human beings. Even people that walk away from faith seek the supernatural. We see it on the prophecy hour. We had a group of people that, were, that created a prayer wall with glasses that they would touch because they need the supernatural. They want to tell themselves, this void I have for the supernatural is being fulfilled by something. Even the, 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 you can meet any heathen you want. In their ways, they found a way to fill that supernatural need that all of us crave. And you are being called to have the answers. The supernatural will help the mission. And it helped the mission of the early church as they spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't downplay the experiences that you have had in your life. We get so caught up in what we're missing that we forget what we have and we've already experienced. The miracles that take place in your life, let me tell you, are twofold. They're not just for you. The, the first thing you say is give God thanks for answering the prayer. And you say, thank you, Lord, for hearing me. Thank you for coming and meeting me in this moment of need. But how is this going to impact other people? What can I do? Who do I tell? 
there will be someone that will come to you at a point in life where you'll be able to share that story and they'll be encouraged by it and moved by it and touched by it because it's twofold. It's not just for you. We can't miss that. It is extremely important for us to know the purpose of why things take place in our lives. Because when we don't know the purpose of something, we end up misusing it. You see people that are gifted at things. But when they don't understand what the purpose of that gifting is, they misuse it. And that's why we see so many things that look the same, but go different directions. It's because there's gifted people using purposeful things that they don't know, and they're just misusing the stuff. Going about it the wrong way. It's twofold. The stone wasn't moved so Jesus could get out. You think he needed help with the stone? The stone was moved so the woman could see. The angel said, come and see where his body laid. It was not that Jesus needed the stone to be moved so he could get out. He wasn't trapped. It was so the woman could see. What happens to our lives is twofold. It's for your benefit and for the benefit of those around you. And you should approach life that way. This leads me to my next thing. They experience community and generosity. Instantly, when we hear the words community and generosity, we instantly think, where's my community and who's being generous to me? Verse 44 says, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with, each, with, with great joy and generosity. God created people to function and thrive in a community environment, in right relationship with God and other people. It is one of the missions here in Greater Life Church. We believe we grow in relationship with God and others. You know, I'm always says, but I'm an introvert. My Enneagram is one, two, and three, and four, and five. I get it. This is coming from a guy who had one friend in middle school, then another friend in high school, and I don't know where those two guys are at today. I was that awkward guy. Okay, I am that awkward guy. Let's clarify that. I'm still awkward, right? But, right? <laughs> hey, if I don't hear you, I'm going to say it. You better believe it, <laughs> right? So, it, it's, it's not about that. We are all called to this moment. The worst people are the people that say, I don't have time. I just don't have time, Moises. And you have time for what you make time for. For the things that matter to you most. The reality of it is you woke up this morning with 24 hours of time available to you. You will go to sleep tonight. You stop those 24 hours of, of, of time that you had available to you, right? One of the things that I learned in, in the business world is that, is that time is the most valuable thing any human being has access to. 
You're spending your time doing something. These people practice selfless generosity by sharing their possessions and time, taking care of one another. Their actions show their love and gratitude for God. I just don't have the resources, Moises, or the time. I'm just telling you, and I'm not going to talk. I, I, I won't attack your habits this morning. What I won't sit here and do is attack your Netflix show, your screen time on your phone, your social media rant, what you do with your hobbies and your time. and all. I won't do that. But I want you to realize that your time is going to something. Your resources are going to something. You're not accumulating time. You're using it. And the one question I would like to ask you this morning, very practical, is if all of our time is going to something, what is the current return on that investment? What are you getting for what you're doing? You're like, Moises, but hear me out. I have to work. I get it. I'm not talking about what you do. I'm talking about it. What is the return on that investment for you? Does it make you a better person? Does it bring your family up? Are your children impacted positively by it? Does it help you answer the call of your ministry that God has placed before your life? What is the return on your investment? We all use our time on something. What does that return look like? What are the benefits you're seeing from it? The early church in Jerusalem experienced a sense of community and purpose that rarely you get to see people experience today. I was talking to a young couple and I was telling them, we keep telling ourselves that once our circumstances change, we'll have more time. Right? Yes. <laughs> When I graduate from school, I'll have so much more time. Once I have that house that's closer to the church, I'll have more time. When I have that different job, I'll have more time. Once I'm able, constantly relying on circumstances to change you and make you who God has already made you to be. There's this concept that if we don't control our calendars, it will control us. You cannot rely on circumstances to make you the person God has called you to be. God has already given you every tool that you need, every gifting that you need in order to become that person. We can't rely on circumstances to, to make us who we want to be. And you're like, oh, Moises, it's not that I don't have any time. It's just that I'm not passionate about those things. I'm more of a quiet person in the background. You know what I'm saying? And, 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 and I, I always ask myself, what, what does how we feel have anything to do with who we're serving? What, what has it ever been about that? But, but God knows me, Moises. Our, our, our culture uses the word passion as a meaning of some sort of a, a spirit, a, like emotional excitement or something. And the first definition you find of the word passion is suffering. <laughs> well, I'm not passionate about it. I'm not attacking that. I'm just, ugh. it just pains me to, to think that people give themselves a reason to bypass the things that God is doing right in front of them and wants them to do. 
just simply because your job makes you work hard or, or you have to do this or you have to do that. Like God didn't know those things. Like somehow God made a mistake with your life. Like somehow he made a mistake of your moment. Martin Luther King Jr. said, life's most persistent and urgent question is what are you doing for others? What are you doing for others? These people, the third thing they experienced was growth and leadership and, and discipleship, ship, I mean. I, I said three things, but it's really six. I've squeezed in two words in there every time. Verse 47 says, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people and each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. As a result of the early Christian faithful devotion to Christ and other people, God honored and blessed them with spiritual and numerical growth. This is what every church wants to see, but they refused to put in the work to do it. People were growing and coming to Jesus, growing in their faith becoming active participants of the church. They were actively and effectively fulfilling the great commission, which was to go and make disciples. But we have thought, told ourselves that this is some kind of called initiative. Moises, that's why I give you my tithings in the church, and then you work it because you're called to that. Bypassing the whole idea that this is just not an initiative for me or the pastors of this church, that you are the church. That God saved you just like he saved me. That there's a story in your life that could benefit others just like mine can. We have made the church about material things and not about the people. You know, growth and discipleship opportunities will come our way. You'll meet people every day. You'll interact with people all the time. It's what you do with those opportunities. And the sad part is that the rocks will cry out if we don't do it. God will send people your way. If you don't know what to do with it, he's going to move on to the next person. The critical question I want us to ask ourselves as the church today is, if our church moved out of the neighborhood, would anyone care? In fact, I'll, I'll change it up a little bit. If you moved out into the neighborhood, would anyone care? What would they miss? Your neighbors. That you park on the wrong side of the road all the time and they don't like it? Thank God he's moving out. That you like, you like to play loud Hispanic music? <laughs> nah, I don't do that. I don't do that. I don't do that. <laughs> What would they miss about you? Ask yourselves. What would those people around you, if you went to another job, what would those coworkers miss about you? Would they even notice that you no longer work there anymore? It's one thing to, to mean something to the people that belong to the church, but it's another thing to mean something to the people that aren't part of the church. And it's not just our jobs. You have a calling over your life personally. You make up the church. We all get to play. So quiet. You know, there was a little bit of confusion in Luke chapter 10. Not confusion. I think it's like purpose ignorance. 
Um, in Luke chapter 10, one of the teachers of religious law asked Jesus, what, what must I do to inherit life? And, and Jesus being the teacher that he is, I love how he teaches guys. He never answered a question directly. It was awesome. Because we, we, you know, as human beings, we weren't built for handouts, right? God brings us along. And, and the guy says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And, and, and Jesus says to him, what does the law of Moses say? He could have gave him the answer. Instead, he wants him to think. He wants him to understand what he's asking. He wants him to get to the answer himself. Literally, 183 questions asked of Jesus, and only, 100 and, and only three of them were answered directly. The rest of them were answered by parables and other questions. 179 questions. He just literally replied. Not because he didn't know the answer. It says, it says, the man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and all your mind and all your love and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, right. Do that and you live. And the guy doubled down on Jesus. Said, you're asking me questions, I'm going to ask you questions. Who's my neighbor, he said. In some sort of personal justification, Jesus goes on to tell the story about the Good Samaritan and tells of a man who was robbed and left beaten, half death. Three men come to the scene and try to help him out. One of them was a priest, which was the top of the food chain when it comes to religious leaders. The next one was a Levite who would have been second in command to that role. The, the, the people that were entrusted to keeping the traditions of Israel alive, but both, both of them passed the injured man and refused to help him. It, it's sad to know that sometimes we tend to be too indifferent. And I want to tell you that indifferent per people won't make a difference. You are made different to make a difference. You understand that, right? You're unique the way you are because you're meant to make a difference. I know I'm weird, but I know it's to make a difference. Shrugging your shoulders and just saying, this is not my problem, won't make a difference. It's stepping to the line and being the first line of defense that will make the difference in this world. You want to see a difference? Stop praying for Christian leadership. Not that you should stop. <laughs> Here's why I'm going with that. You never saw Paul saying... You know what we need? It's a Christian Roman governor. It'll fix this whole community. He never said that, right? People in the church, you never hear, you know what we really need in this church? If the leader of this community would just be a believer, that'll fix all of it. No, they saw the problem and went right after the people and spread the kingdom of God with all their strength to make an impact on the community. We get so caught up in the politics of what a leader can do, bypassing the responsibility that as a believers we can do as we step forward. It's not wrong to pray for Christian leadership, guys, but that shouldn't be our emphasis. You see a problem, guess what? Who put you there? God, you have the capabilities of stepping into that situation and making it better, sharing what God has done in your life. 
This man, they keep talking, and, and, and the third person comes along, and he, he decides to help it. It's, it's known as, 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 as a Samaritan man, is how the, the, the Bible describes this guy. They, they practice heretical versions of Judaism. No Jew expected this guy to be a loving person. Instead, he stops, gets off his donkey, takes care of the guy, takes him to an inn, work with the wounds, and, and, and pays it all out of his pocket. So Jesus, who was being asked by this man, who is my neighbor? Maybe this guy was hoping that Jesus would say, you know what, you're right. You don't have to do anything. Jesus looks at the guy and says, who of the three people would you say is your neighbor? The answer is you know, it's obvious, right? The guy who had mercy. And Jesus says to him, go and do likewise. You know, people would, would, would challenge this ethical premises of, of who was my neighbor to, to kind of get out of things consistently. It, it reminds us of people nowadays. They want to do the minimal work to be considered loving. You may say to yourself, not me. I, I'm telling you myself, personally. I sometimes, too, struggle with those feelings in my heart. That maybe this is not me. This is not the moment I have to step into. By the end of the story, Jesus has turned the question inside out. Who is my neighbor has turned into what kind of neighbor will I be? Helping to answer the question, who is my neighbor, was never about a particular place or location. It was about the actions we were going to take as people with those around us. What kind of people will we become? We genuinely say we're beloved of God. Then our character, our deepest impulse to love others, not necessarily because they deserve our, our love, not necessarily because we want to get some kind of recognition for it, not necessarily because we want to see this church packed of people, but because, because God loved us first. You don't have anything to give? You could honestly stand up today and say, I have nothing to give, Moises. There's no story to share. There's no impact that has taken in my life that, 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 that's worth saying. Don't be indifferent. We are all called to do something, and you're investing your time and resources into something. And all I'm saying this morning is, what is the return on that investment? That's it. You don't have to tell me the details. Don't give me, that's between you and God. But what is the return on your investment? What is the fruit of your labor? We shouldn't take the stance that our lives are so good that we forget to take care of others. We use God as a well that we go to when we need something. When we get it, we move on with our lives. And we don't allow God to continue the work in our lives. We don't see that twofold concept. God literally just did something for me and only me. I'm good. I personally don't care. Remember where God brought you from. I, I, I was having a, a meeting with a couple yesterday, and, and I, was, I, I felt so old. I was telling them, because they're like, they see things, and they see what, what's happening, and you share your testimony. And they're like, wow, that's amazing. Uh, and, and I was like, listen, but when I was your age, I wanted to encourage them. I was in a parking lot at Matthews holding hands with this beautiful woman here, jumping up and down, because I, I had gotten a job offer for $11 an hour full time. We thought we had made it. We were rich, baby. 
You got to remember where you came from. It didn't all start where you're at today. I'm 37 years old. Jeez, I'm old. No, no. From talking to the people I talked to yesterday, I felt pretty old. They're super young. <laughs> God didn't do something for you just for you. He not only did it for you, but for it to have an impact on somebody. You're not so good that you don't need God anymore. You don't want to be on that side of faith. God says he opposes the proud. You know what that means? It's not that he'll leave you. It's not that he'll walk away from you. It's how he'll actually change teams. He'll actually come to the other side and he will oppose you. He will be against you, against what you're about, against what you're feeling. He, God opposes the proud. You don't want to be on that side of faith. He has done enough and there's enough that he will continue to do in your life and in the lives of those around you. And that should be what we walk around with. Here at Greater Life Church, we're going to answer the call. We're going to do it. We can't do it with just the eight people that we have on staff. You're part of that too. The, the, the question is, will you answer the call with us? We have a new church plan starting in Mora, Charlotte. Those people will be meeting at 1230 right there, right after the service in the prayer room. Just, just dreaming together and talking about what we do next and where we go and how. Continue to pray for that. Be a part of it. This past Wednesday, the church, the staff of the church was feeding over 60 teachers at Wax Elementary. People are like, Wax Elementary? Where's that coming from? We just saw an opportunity to get access to a community and we took it. That principal is like, what, what's the next thing? What are we going to do next? And I'm like, in two weeks, September 9th, we'll be here from 7 to 8 and we're going to have a worship night in your gym. We're going to take our mobile equipment, go out there and bless the community. Because God is calling us to those moments. There is opportunity upon opportunity. Feeding the homeless. Anything you could think about. The opportunities are there. Don't miss your moment. We believe that you too could be part of the blessing. As Pastor Andrew said, you're not going to be blessed simply. You don't do it just to be blessed, but you will be blessed by doing it. In time, resources, you name it. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray. And I want you to personally ask yourself, what is the return on my investment and what can I do, God? You know me. He knows you better than you know yourself. And we're going to use that QR code. And I want you to, when you open your eyes, if you feel it in your heart, I want you to scan that. And say, I want to help with this on the comment box. I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to give you an opportunity to actually step up to the line. And not be indifferent about this moment. God has a purpose for every individual in this room. We're going to answer the call. Will you? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to be part of this moment with you, Lord. We are unworthy servants, and yet you count us in. We get to play. We get to be a part of your kingdom, Lord. Help us. You have gifted us to do mighty things, Lord. Help us, Lord, to walk in that, to not underestimate what we're able to do, the impact that we can make as individuals, as one church. 
Help us, God. We want to bring glory to your kingdom. Would you open our eyes and give us clarity to see what you're calling us to in this moment? We love you, God, and we thank you. And we believe all this in your name. Amen and amen. Can we give God praise this morning? <clears throat>